0: 2. Haunted Houses Have Mixed Emotions It was 7 o'clock in the evening when Ramon finally decided she knew enough to set off to Hillvale House to cure it of its poltergeist infestation. Though, best on her, based on her research, she doubted that a poltergeist was what it was. She was already behind schedule as she dressed in her smart white blouse, black trousers and her favourite red and white bomber jacket. Hurriedly, she checked she had bought her essentials, her notebook, her laptop and her camera and ran out the door, down to her pink Mini Cooper, and started to drive towards the haunted house. As she drove, she once again ran through her hours of research on the strange place, hoping it might give her an upper hand in the hours to come. Hillvale House, Ramon had learned, or rather, the ruins of it, were found in a small village just outside of the city, called Hindlip. According to the newspapers, it had been nineteen sixty three when one Baroness Fury decided that Hindlip's elderly was suffering from a lack of housing and constructed Hillsvale House as a solution to that. This was strange because Baroness Fury, not properly a Baroness at all, was an infamous astrologer and spiritualist who had never before expressed interest in palliative care. Interviews, rarely, interviews regularly quizzed her on where a charlatan like her had, had found the resources for such a project, but she invariably ignored the questions and focused on the benefits of an old people's home to Hindlip, pitched variously as a paradise for pensioners and a golden spa for our golden ages, and by the detractors as a sanctuary for the senile. Fury was adamant that Hillvale House would be the best thing that had ever happened to the village, and after its completion in 1966, it was, for a while. The finished house itself was a bit of an eyesore, and only increased the furor among Fury's detractors. Located where once the village park, beloved to many, had been, Hillvale House was castle-like in structure. A large, oblong stone fort rose about ten metres into the air, decorated with crenellations and gargoyles, the likes of which the residents of Hindlip had never before seen. It was said that the structure held the apartments for its residents, 77 in total, Fury said, as well as several lounges, a bar, and a cinema. Rising from the four corners of the central structure were four towering stone spires that would not have looked out of place in a fairy tale. Fury told the press that these held supplies for the residents of the home, which was as transparent a lie as anyone had ever heard. Nevertheless, the first few years of Hillvale House were a great success. While strange in structure, the place did provide plenty of first-class housing at an affordable price for the old folks, and the first residents spoke well of their home. They said the facilities were accessible, that they were fun, the food was of a high quality, and the staff, whilst quiet, were generally helpful. Criticisms of Hillvale House began to quieten down, and the residents of Hindlip continued to live their life as before, until 77. Ramon squinted at the road ahead of her, chastising herself for forgetting her contacts. It was dark and had begun to rain faintly, which was the perfect weather for a paranormal stakeout, made driving through these country roads no easier. She found herself wondering if any of the people living around here had felt what had happened at Hillvale House in 1977. The house had been at maximum capacity when it had happened. An earthquake in Hindlip, nothing like it had ever happened before nor since. It had been in the evening when everybody had been inside, some at the weekly movie night and others in bed. And as such, the fatalities had been high. First, the four great towers had fallen, crushing the garden outside and some parts of the upper levels of the building. And towers had fallen, crushing the gardens outside and some part of the other levels of the building. Repeating there. And then the roof had caved, in, finishing off these upper layers, and not a few of the lower ones too. The entire place had folded in on itself, killing fifty people. The tremors had been felt miles out, and one farmer declared that their barn had tumbled in the tumult. Newspapers proclaimed that this place had been built on a different kind of rock from the rest of the village, and this had created stress on the ground which had led to the earthquake, and it was probably because of this that the now-abandoned rubble and remains of the house were colloquially known as the House on the Rock. Of course, the residents of Hindlip took up the cry for the blood of Baroness Fury, the woman who had taken so many of their elderly from them, but she was nowhere to be found. She had lived on site, so the general consensus was that she had been crushed in the disaster, her body smashed beyond recognition but others argued that she had escaped at the last minute and eloped to Argentina. Ramon, for one, believed that Baroness Few had died, and that it was her body that now haunted the remains of Hillvale House. As Ramon drove down a winding mud path, only minutes away from her destination now, she considered her plan. Paranormal investigation was not a fine art, she had found, and most of it just amounted to stumbling in with some equipment and hoping for the best, but she nevertheless found it useful to have at least a vague outline of a plan. Her aim for the weekend was to locate the source of the haunting, be that Fury or something else, and halt its progress, which was what this business was all about. Ghosts were, more often than not, beings out of time, that is to say, individuals displaced from their own timeline. Sometimes these were dead people whose spirits had been shunted forward along the timeline, and other times these were living creatures from the past who had stumbled into the present. And this always caused great distress for the specter in question, and the solution was always the same. Someone had to halt their progress along the timeline and gently nudge them back to their origin. People had such violent and grandiose images of paranormal investigation and the fixing of ghost problems, or whatever one chose to call it. Ideas of muscled-up scientists bursting onto sacred land to slay demons and conquer the devil. But that was all testosterone-filled nonsense, fueled by inaccurate movies. In truth, it was a gentler affair. It was about coaxing the desperate spectre back to their original timeline to prevent further distress both to them and to the individual individuals they were more often than not accidentally haunting that was the case with ghosts anyway with poltergeists and such it was a less gentle affair and thus ramon desperately hoped that the spectre haunting hillvale house was not a poltergeist squinting through the wind and rain once again ramon saw an irregular mishmash of rocks on the horizon and realized she was approaching hillvale house she checked the clock it was nearly nine. That gave her a couple of hours now to get a general feel of what was going on in the house, and then she would sleep in a nearby b she had already called ahead and made a reservation. The weekend then would be spent locating the ghost and pushing it back to its own time, all in time for her to be back home for a week with Rose. The perfect, impromptu holiday after losing her job. She felt better already. Ramon had seen pictures of Hilbert House immediately after the 77 disaster, and a few satellite pictures from Google Earth, but seeing it now, up close and real, shocked her. The place was rubble, still. It had been over 30 years since it had collapsed, and it seemed that in the time, no one bothered to clear it up, and the place was freely accessible to the public, which made her wonder all the more why no work had to be done on it. The four walls that had once surrounded the apartment still stood, though crumbled in places, but the roof was completely gone, its remains littering the floor of the complex on which now grew bushes and moss. Peering out the window, Ramon could see the outlines of one of the old towers, now fallen into the long grass like a tumbled tree and she suspected the others were in similar positions. This was insane, she thought. It looked like the earthquake had happened just days ago. Deciding she needed a closer look, Ramon parked her car and hesitantly got out, eyes fixed on the rubble to see if there were any danger spots best avoided. Deeming it safe, she crept across the sandy lawn, what she assumed had once been used as a frontal parking lot, and approached what remained of the front door. Where there had once been an elaborate chantry section, now stood only a mountain of rubble and two massive, rotted oak doors open ever so slightly as if inviting a closer look at the calamitous mess that remained within. The doors bore memories of a long-lost coat of paint. Flecks of blue danced across the peeling wood. Roman asked herself again why this place had been left in this state. It was completely irregular. The letter had mentioned nothing so bad as this, and having read about the earthquake, she had simply assumed that the mysterious Priscilla A and her organisation had retrofitted the place to make it more habitable. Now it seemed they had no plans to rebuild the house until the lingering spectre was gone. Through the gap between the rotten, once-blue doors, Ramon could see a cavernous maw of brick, broken beams, and fallen timber, lit by the patchy moonlight that fell through the open roof. It looked like some of those ruined houses from Pompeii, preserved at the moment of disaster, and Ramon had a sudden fear about the bodies of the dead remained in this place. But no, of course not. She had specifically read about the rescue and burial process. She thought it best to collect her notebook before she went any further, so she could make preliminary sketches, and as she dashed back to her curtain, To her car, she heard a great crash behind her. Looking back, she saw a cloud of dust emanating from where she had once stood. One more second there, and she would have been dead. This place is not safe, she thought. Now, standing by her car, Ramon thought about what she was doing. Exploring an abandoned and dangerous disaster site on the advice of a mysterious letter. It was the kind of stuff she read about in books, not the kind of stuff that actually happened. It was stupid and dangerous and she wasn't even thinking straight since she had lost her job. She would just go back to her car and get the hell out of here. Back to her mother's where it was nice and Ramon. She said aloud to herself. Ramon, you're panicking. She took a deep breath. This is going to be okay. She felt a bit calmer. You've had a horrible day, but from here on out it is all okay. No obligations to anyone but yourself. Calmer still, she smiled. It was good to say these things aloud. To remind herself of her situation and the stakes. To ground herself. Just stay away from falling bricks, she finished. Then she retrieved her notebook from her bag, locked the door again, and walked back to the house, or what remained of it. She would be in and out in no time. All she wanted to see was what it was like in there, and where the ghosts may be found. One time, Rose had asked her why she got scared of things like jobs, and people, and the real world, but not of ghosts, and the question appeared again in her mind now. She remembered the way she had answered her mother. Ghosts can look scary sometimes, with their chains and screams and whatnot, but all they want is to get home, and that makes sense to me. The real world, though, both looks scary and is scary. It doesn't make sense to me a lot of the time. She felt that way now, and stepping cautiously past a new pile of rubble and through the rotten door, she immediately felt calmer. The world before her was a broken one. She was in the remains of a large, semicircular room, and it was filthy. To her left lay what she guessed was a welcome desk, splintered down the middle by a metal bar, and to her right was a wall that had collapsed inward, perhaps leading to a storage room, Ramon guessed based on the hundreds of tins she could see therein. She looked up to assess the safety of the place, and saw only open sky where the roof had once been. As long as she stayed away from the edges, she should be fine. On the opposite side of the room, there was a door, which she could see an endless hall through. Likely where the residence housing began, but she decided to root around this room a bit for now. Ramon approached what she thought was the welcome desk and saw something. A figure in the darkness behind it. She grabbed her torch from her pocket and quickly shone it towards the thing and saw a towering, ornate portrait of a woman who looked most displeased. The face had been painted in a permanent frown. Black hair pinned back severely. Eyebrows slanted forever downwards, mouth puckered and eyes staring. This was the very image of severity, and Ramon knew that it was Baroness Fury. Our patron, read the placard beneath it. May God grant her haste and felicity in her charitable pursuits. Ramon made sure to remember that face, just in case she encountered it again, in a more spectral form. Next, she circled around the back of the welcome desk and found a time capsule. Two giant typewriters sat on either side of the desk, one of them badly damaged by the falling strut. And between them were littered papers, cards and notices, all listed with the same date. November 17th, 1977, the day of the earthquake. They had been sheltered under a wooden ledge, which had no doubt protected them from the elements, preserving them all this time only for a woman who had just lost her job to find them. Glancing upwards again to confirm she was in a safe position, Ramon then picked up the nearest piece of paper. Gladys Howard. It read, relatives permitted a visit, November 19th. She picked up another one, Percival Thompson. It read, health deteriorating, contact next of kin, and next to that, two question marks. Then Ramon noticed a piece of paper still stuck in the left typewriter. She eased it out, careful not to tear anything, and read, Miriam Bluebell, Night Terrors, Conflict with Carers, Refuses Companionship. With a shiver, Ramon realised that this had been the last thing written by the secretary at this desk before the world had fallen in on it. In fact, the leather chair on which they had no doubt been sitting had slid just to the left of the desk, though it was now little more than a wire frame. All of this untouched. Ramon could not believe it. Surely someone must have considered investigating the ruins in the last 30 years, or a drunken group of teens might have dared each other to sleep over in the wreckage. But no, everything was as as it had been. Either the people who knew about the place thought it too dangerous, did not care about it, or, and Ramon suspected this was the case, they were too scared. Ramon carefully walked across the atrium, avoiding sharp bits of rocks, and poked her head into the storage room. Nothing, just heaps and heaps of food tins, tomato soup. something called Tommy's Best SpaghettiOs. Wow, they really treated the elderly here. The only place left to go was down the hallway and through the residential area. The pathway to the door was littered with timber and struts and Ramon climbed over it, reaching the door to the corridor. She supposed that either she reached the door to the corridor The debris must not have hit hard enough to crush the segment, no surprise as there were several identical floors above it. Ramon knew from the floor pans, unlike the atrium which had been completely exposed. She supposed that either made this section far more dangerous, at risk of collapse at any moment, or far less, and seeing as the place had held up for 30 years, she thought it would hold up for at least 30 more. God, Priscilla and her lot were going to have a hell of a job cleaning this place up. Ramon shone her torch forward and illuminated the endless corridor before her. One long carpeted road, snaked before her, walled on either side by legions of doors. This was not a homely place, Rowan thought. This was a cheap hotel suite, and she found herself feeling sorry for the old folks who had been shipped off here by their families. There was a door every five steps, the first of which were to her immediate left and right. The doors were identically white, each with a tiny bronze letterbox and a printed number and a name on the door. To her right, one, George Darnell. To her left, two, Cassie North. The the doors were pristine, as was the carpet and the walls, a stark contrast to the apocalyptic rubblescape outside. At least these places last, she thought, and put her hand on the door handle of room two. It did not feel right. It was not the coldness that suddenly swept out all around the door, nor the faint murmuring she heard from the other side, no. It was the sudden feeling that the door must not be opened, that something unlikely, something unpleasant, something unreal, squatted only a metre away, separating her by nothing, from a separating her was nothing but a thin, wooden panel. Ramon looked down at the foot of the door, still gripping the handle. There was a gap at the bottom of it, and from it spilled a faint, quaking shadow, as though something on the other side was swaying, waiting. Ramon snatched away her hand. That room was evil. Instead, she turned to room one, the room of George Darnell, and opened the door wide, feeling no preternatural disturbance from the other side of this one. Inside was a pleasant suite, but a small one, smaller by far than Ramon's apartment and she did not doubt that it looked the same way it had on the evening of November 17th, 1977, only now everything was covered in a thick layer of dust. The single bed to her left, draped in a baby pink bedspread, the small oak desk to her right, the bookcase in front of her, all covered in dust. She walked to the bookcase first, because the best way to know a person, she knew, was through their books, and Ramon found found herself interested in the life of George Darnell. Maybe if she learned something about the residence, she would learn more about whatever haunted the place, and this place was definitely haunted. Room 2 had vanished, any doubt of that, from her mind. The bookshelf looked like it had been an antique even in the 70s. A row of three drawers on the bottom was topped by three dark wooden shelves. The book spines were all legible, and as Ramona began to read, her pace quickened, for George Darnell's library was nothing natural. Demons and hobgoblins. A treatise on snakes and their utility as killers. Sacrifice, and why? Regicide, Gloriana. Each book was bound in a similar brown leather coat. Ramon picked out the final title she had read. The tone was positively caked in dust, which she shook off as she began to flick through the book's chapters on methods of execution. Regicide is worship. Glory to our king. Mandy would love this, she thought, as she slotted the book back into place. If the residents of room one and two were anything to go by, the elderly residents of Hillvale House were not your average pensioners. Ramon thought as she moved to leave the room. But just as her hand hovered over the door handle, she saw something in the corner of her eye. Another door, just to the left of the bookshelf. How had she missed it? It seemed like the kind of door through which one should not pass. And for that reason, Ramon found it intriguing and opened it wide. She glanced round the darkened bathroom, the off-white sink and bath and grimy toilet, and saw nothing. Something was swinging from the ceiling, she suddenly saw, and she knew with an ethereal certainty that it was the skeletal body of George Darnell, hung with his own tie on the day of the earthquake. And she switched on the light to confirm this, but no, all that hung from the ceiling was a naked bulb. George Darnell, it was not. In fact, Ramon thought, as she turned to leave the bathroom, Darnell was probably one of the survivors of the catastrophe at Hillvale House. His room was so low down that the falling rubble probably did not kill him, and any one of the rescue teams might have got him out. She wondered what he had done with the rest of his life. The witching hour approached as Ramon stepped back into the endless corridor, and while she wanted to explore every last one of the rooms now, she thought she would be- work better after a night's rest. Not in the b b though. That would take too many hours from her day tomorrow. She would sleep just fine in her car. What a day it had been. Only this morning she had lost her job and had a breakdown, and here she was exploring the most haunted location she had ever come across. From for an enigmatic letter writer, it was the kind of rollercoaster day that came along infrequently, changed everything, and left hastily. But Ramon did not want to think about all the changes that had happened, nor the future. All that mattered for now was the job at hand, and that was good. Ramon left the room and smiled. Had she stayed a little longer, she may have found the body of George Darnell garroted and rotting under the pink bed. But, like the rescue team in the 70s, Ramon had not thought to look there. So his body remained hidden, still caked in blood and the fingerprints of his killer, and, in ten years' time, it would turn to dust, stripping the earth of any memory of Mr Darnell, and the mystery of his death never solved. Thank you for listening to Queer Happenings. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Queer Happenings Investigations and drop me an email at queerhappenings at yahoo mail dot com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you again next Friday for another chapter of Queer Happenings.